Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as host Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Welcome to the NBA edition, playoff-wise, of the Mike Abadir Show. We're going to be talking some basketball, some horse racing, and MLB first two weeks of the season, surprises, big hitters, etc. But let me first say, one of the my favorite things about this show and doing this show has been, we've been very fortunate to have some great guests along the way. But that's kind of been at the expense of me just talking sports with my main man, Gino. So, I'm excited about today because you and I just get to talk it up about sports, and we love doing that with one another. Yeah, that's what's great about the show is that we we wanted it from always from day one, and we want we want the feedback from all of you out there listening. So we'd love to hear um, just positives, negatives. I think our guests are great, um, but as you mentioned, we haven't had an opportunity ourselves to really sink our teeth and do a lot of stuff. So this is a perfect time, kind of an in between. Week. There's a lot going on in sports. You and I can dive into a couple different topics, and then we'll welcome back some of our uh, our excellent guests uh, over the next few weeks to continue to dive into the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs, the NFL draft's going to be coming up. Uh, we have the Kentucky Derby coming up in just about a month, so lots going on. And as you mentioned today, fun fun topics. We got the NBA playoffs. We got the first couple weeks where we can do that crazy overreaction thing, Mike, where we talk way too um, way too seriously about what's been going on for like 12 games in baseball. And then we'll talk a little bit of horse racing and what we saw in the preps and kind of who's in the Derby next week. So we might as well just get right on into it with uh, with the NBA playoffs. And I know you're not quite as big of an NBA fan. And I know a lot of people kind of have the, the tone that you have, because let's be honest, the last five years or so, it's been pretty chalky overall. For the most part, we, we almost know what we're going to get. And it's going to be LeBron in the finals against the Warriors, right? <laughs> For the most part, that's that's what it's been. Yeah, you know, let me tell you. So last night, Gino and I were talking on the phone, as we always do. And I I made the comment that I thought that the NBA playoffs lacked intrigue. Now, I want to maybe correct something that I did say, which is this. Even though the intrigue comment relates to who's going to end up in the finals, I still think that there could be some fun matchups to watch. You know, Portland and the Pelicans, for example. Blazers, Pelicans. That could be a fun matchup to watch just within itself. I don't think either one is necessarily going to compete for a championship. But over a seven-game series, that could be fun. There will be some overtime games, some some buzzer beaters, last-second shots, so on and so forth. So I think there's going to be some fun matchups to watch. But like you said, I think we kind of know who's going to end up in the finals. And we could break it down and see where you end up and where I end up. Yeah, I think that this particular season – there have been a lot of injuries, and in particular to the big stars in the second half of the year. So what what I do think is, I think the matchups are really going to be key this year. I I don't think it's necessarily an instance where just um, the top one or two teams are going to blow everyone out. I think it really will be key on who wins in each round, who's going to be matching up with who, because I think there are some teams that will match up very, very well. Like if we start in the East, Mike, and we go like Toronto's the number one seed, they're, they're quietly, they've had a really good year. They're playing Washington. 
I, I don't think Washington, um, all, all that I've heard, not good stuff about John Wall, Marcin Gortat's kind of talking about your star publicly. I, I think this is kind of Toronto's year because in a year where there are a lot of injuries, there are a lot of players just coming back from big injuries, question marks. They've been a pretty solid one seed all the way through. They won 59 games this year. So I like Toronto in this first round. I don't think I think they're going to get through Washington pretty quickly. I don't see uh, much of an upset opportunity in here. But I will mention Washington has won the last three times they made the playoffs. They've won their first round matchup. So they do have a little bit of playoff experience. Agreed. Toronto takes this. I don't think there's a lot to necessarily dive no. into this one on because, like you said, I agree with you. Wall just has not been a uh, clutch playoff performer. Uh, you know, he's not like a career. winner. Yeah, no, you know, he's no. still he's flashy and he 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 can, you know, he can score, he can he can lead your team, but I don't know if if the guys around really like him from what I've heard and it didn't seem like Gortat and Beal and then get along. Boston Milwaukee is the second matchup there uh, in the East and poor Boston. I mean, it, it just shows you what coaching and what a really good coach can do. They've basically missing their best two players um most of the year. Kyrie's been hurt late and we saw Hayward go down early on. What's interesting about this matchup is that Milwaukee We'll, we'll probably have the best player on the court uh, every night in Giannis. But is Giannis going to be good enough to carry them against a very well-coached Boston team? I, I actually think Milwaukee can, can upset Boston because I just don't like the way they're kind of limping into the playoffs. I'll tell you what. Boston is so well-coached, like you said. And here's the funny thing. Even though they've had those injuries, and Kyrie hasn't been in the lineup in, uh, what, over Four a month, weeks. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, something like that. So they still ended up with 55 wins which is good for fourth most in the NBA. And they've got a great home home court advantage. They do real well at home. They did pretty well against the conference. Second best conference record, I believe. Nah, actually, it might be like third best. But nonetheless, I don't see Milwaukee winning because the Celtic mystique come playoff time. They'll still find a way to win this round. So Boston for Mikey, and I'll go with Milwaukee. Philly, Miami, this is kind of a fun one because these are two completely unproven teams. You have Miami, who doesn't really have a big star. They have Whiteside. They have Drogic. But they're another really, really well-coached team. Spolstra is an excellent coach. Then you have Philly, who's the young, up-and-coming team. Embiid, he's wearing the mask now. We They said they don't think he'll be back for game one. He's working out on that mask. Ben Simmons is incredible. Young up-and-comers. Okay, against another well-coached team, Philly is the number three seed. Philly, Miami in here. I just think Philly's a little too talented. Um, I don't think they'll be able to stop and beat if he plays. And I like the fact that in the playoffs, no back-to-backs. You get days in between to rest. So I'm going to go with the young upstarts here with Philly. Philadelphia's won 16 in a row to wrap up the regular season with an ultra-hot streak. Really good momentum going into the playoffs. They're feeling really good about themselves. Miami's well-coached. Miami in an upset in six. Yeah, you, and you know, you really got to give it up to Philly no matter what, even if they don't get through this. I, they, this one wouldn't shock me, Mike. I'm, I'm really with, they are so well coached and they are, they are disciplined. They play good defense. The last five years, Philly, they were 19 and 63, 18 and 64, 10 and 72, 28 and 54, and then they jump all the way to 50 and 32. So I guess you really do got to trust the process. That They really did a great job. Yep, the Astros of, of basketball, right? I mean, the they Cubs, used their, yeah, their, just like the their Astros picks Cubs. wisely. Yep, they used their picks wisely and, and built this program from the bottom up. You know, probably tanked a few years to the dismay of their fan base and, uh, you know, the patience of their fan base and, and maybe the NBA league offices themselves. But, hey, it worked. 
and it worked really, really well, despite maybe even having some injuries to some of their uh, young prospects. And they've really put it together. I'm pretty impressed. But just like the Astros, I think you kind of need to have some of that playoff seasoning before you take that next step. You got you got to have that one year where you get beat up a little bit, you know, yep. where you get kind of bullied by a team that's been around there, and you you got to learn the ropes a little. And you honestly, we talked to Joe who won the who, who came on with us about a month ago when he won our NFL playoff pool pick him. What is what a time to be living in Philly, right? I mean, big time. You got the Eagles win the Super Bowl. Nova with another NCAA championship. You have this Philly team because not only are they good and, and better than you thought, but they're young. So you've got hope with this team. And then even the Phillies, you know, people were giving Kapler a lot of uh, a lot of crap early on, but they've won a few games in a row now. They're back over 500. And like we all like we've always noticed, winning cures everything. So people are going to complain about Kapler and some of his over analytics stuff when they're losing. But when they're winning, nobody's going to complain. So great time to be a Philly sports fan right now. No doubt. Uh, let's go. A lot of a lot of good young talent on all their teams. So all of them. So a lot of ups, upside. Lots, yep. lots to root for if you're in Philly. And then to close things out in the East, uh, Cleveland, Indiana. I think this is another situation where I think Indy's just happy to be here. You know, they had an unbelievable year after the Paul George trade. I, I just don't think they're strong enough. I don't know who's going to be able to stop LeBron there. And for me, it's really going to be hard to beat. I. It's got, it's hard to play or to bet against Cleveland until you see somebody beat them and knock them out of the East and, and kind of get in their way of getting to the finals. So I think it's LeBron really until somebody takes it from him. I, I can't go against Cleveland in this one at least. Was was pretty surprised to look at the final standings and see that Cleveland had 50 wins and Indiana had 48. I was like, two games separated the Cavs and the Pacers? Very surprising to me. However... It's not going to be as close as their final records indicated. Cleveland's going to win this thing. You're not going to be able to beat LeBron in a seven-game series. No way, no how, especially if you're the Pacers. Cleveland takes this in five. How about this stat I saw? I thought it was pretty cool. They're, uh, the Cleveland's the number four seed, as you just mentioned. Only two teams ever seeded fourth or lower have won the NBA title, the 69 Celtics and the 95 Rockets. So just uh, don't see a lot of teams who aren't in that top three that end up winning mainly because when you have these series and a team like Cleveland is going to have to go on the road now three times in order to win the NBA finals, that's a little bit taxing when you have to play many games on the road like that. But when you have LeBron, (laughs) it's a little bit different as we uh, shift over to the West um, top heavy West with Houston and Golden State, probably the two best teams in the in the league. Uh, Minnesota snuck in on the last night of the season, Mike. So we have the Rockets versus the T Wolves. The T Wolves do have Butler back. He's probably 75, 80% healthy. Minnesota, if they didn't get hurt, if Butler doesn't get hurt, they're probably like a three or four seed with a healthy Butler. Instead, they're an eight seed. I think they're kind of a sneaky eight seed. I think they could maybe win a game or two, but. The, the real key is if Butler can play some D on Harden, if he's healthy enough to, to kind of get in Harden's way and slow him down a little bit, then they might have a shot because Minnesota is very talented. They still have Towns. They still have Wiggins. T can step up. Their bench is a little bit better this year. But Houston is just a machine. I mean, the way that they shoot threes, you have to be absolutely lights out in order to beat them. So I just can't see them losing, you know, three or four times to Minnesota here. I think maybe Minnesota steals a game or two from Houston in this first round series. In the last few years, I've been staunchly opposed to Harden and Chris Paul in the playoffs. I've viewed them as guys who do not clutch it up, who do not win playoff games. You bet against them, whether it was the Clippers, whether it's the Rockets. However, 
what I will say is this. I like the Timberwolves from a talent perspective. I like the roster. I like who they put together, the team they put together. I don't think they're very well coached. I think they've actually underachieved relative to the type of guys that they've got. And to me, an eight seed with 47 wins, uh, very to me, it's a little bit disappointing. I know they've broken a very long playoff drought, I believe, since 04. So good for them for getting into the playoffs. But, uh, you know, I, to me, I think it's disappointing. I think the Rockets take this series. I think this those guys that I mentioned that have historically been non-playoff factors are going to put it together this year because they've worked really well together under D'Antoni's office. Offense. I think that, and they have a little help, too. Harden and Paul now have each other to help each other out, you know, to handle yep. the ball. Chris Paul's never been past the second round of the playoffs, but I do think that will change this year. Golden State Spurs, uh, we're not going to see Steph Curry in the first round. And just an interesting stat, obviously, we're not, um, we don't think we're going to see Kawhi, who's only played, I think, eight games all year long. And it's pretty in- impressive that the Spurs, with this roster, if you look, this is one of the least talented rosters the Spurs have really ever had. I can't believe they've even made the playoffs this year. The team led by LaMarcus Aldridge. You have an aging Powell. You have an aging Parker, an aging Ginobili. Murray's okay, but um, this team, just from a talent standpoint, again, it, it's just we see with the three of the best coaches in the league, you see with Boston, with Miami, and with the Spurs, what those teams are able to do with, you know, I think – under talented rosters when you compare them to the rest of the uh, of the league golden state they were 41 and 10 with curry this year 17 and 14 without curry so not even too too high over 500 even with the rest of that star-studded cast i just don't think the spurs have enough in here even without curry i think golden state probably wins this and uh the spurs the same thing maybe they maybe they can steal a game at home but i just don't think when, when the playoffs turn up they're going to be able to stop durant and I think a lot of that 17 and 14 record that you're talking about without Curry, the end. Uh, you know, I think a lot of those losses came towards the end. Yeah, they right? did. A lot of them did come towards the end. That's a good point. Yeah, the last yeah. they struggled down the stretch because they just they were locked into that two spot. They didn't need to go up or down, and it didn't really make sense to play a lot. But um, they did seem like a different team, obviously without kind of their heart and soul. So I think for them to get deep into the playoffs, they're going to need a, a solid Curry to be back in that second round. Uh, as we move down to the bottom half of the, the West, we had Portland, New Orleans. This is a matchup you mentioned, I agree, really fun on paper, right? Because you get one of the best players in the league in Anthony Davis, who's been carrying his team since Boogie went down. Then you get two guards who can light it up in Lillard and McCollum. And I think, you know, a Portland, a hot Portland team, they could beat, you know, maybe a Golden State or Houston just in a matchup if they get hot and outshoot them. So they're kind of interesting if they can get through this first round series, but I don't know, Mikey, when you have the best player on the court sometimes, like who's going to stop Davis? Can Nurkic stop him? I don't know. Uh, it's tough to play at Portland, though. So this, to me, is, is probably the most fun of the early series. I really do think this one could go either way, but I would slightly lean to Portland. Yeah, it's a hard one to pick. Uh, I know my, my good friend Jim Anderson, who, who who might be listening right now, is a hardcore Portland fan. I think I'm going to make him happy and, and take Portland, but it's a real, real slight edge to them. Yeah, I agree with everything that you said. All the you know, t- talent on both on both sides of uh, the defense. There, uh, it should make for a really really fun series. Ultimately, I think Portland is just so good at home, especially when it comes to playoff time. They usually really overachieve a little bit. Yeah, they usually overachieve a little bit. I know the Pelicans finished strong. I think they won the last five in a row. But Portland takes this one. And I'll t- I'll tell you one thing. I totally agree with you about them potentially giving uh, Golden State fits. In fact, I would say if the first round matchup was Warriors without Curry. And Portland, 
Portland would win that hands down. I might pick Portland too. I would. That would be a, game, a series that I would bet. Just from a shooting standpoint, they could go up and down with them. And you need, you, you don't, because like when you have these really good guards, very few people can defend them, no matter who you are. But the, the defense you have to have is being able to go at them. So when you're playing against a guy like Lilliard and he's going to score 30, you may not be able to stop him, but you've got to offensively be able to make him work a little bit on the defensive end. And if they don't have Curry there, you know, he's going to be able to do whatever he wants and really have his way. So I'm with you. Final matchup in the West, OKC versus Utah. OKC, talk about a weird year. They've been up and down. They were disappointing. Then they would get hot. Uh, defensively, we know, they're, we know they're good. But this could be a frustrating matchup for them because Utah is incredible defensively. They've got the uh, the stifle tower there with Rudy Gobert. Um, and then, you know, they have a, a rookie who averaged 20 points a game. He's only the third rookie guard in the last 25 years to average 20 points a game at Donovan Mitchell. He is a stud. He could get hot. This is a tricky one, man. I'm rooting for Utah because I'd love to see Paul George be frustrated and come to the Lakers. But I think I think Utah is one of those young teams that we mentioned that might be a year away. I think OKC might just have a little too much um, when when it, the game slow down and they have Paul George and Westbrook and even Melo to hit a big shot. Agreed. I mean, I think Utah, because defense usually wins championships in all sports, you know, has, uh, you know, Utah clearly has a defensive edge that both teams end up finishing with the exact same identical records. However, Utah was really good against the conference. They were 34 and 18 against the conference. OKC was just barely over 500. With that said, I think because Westbrook has achieved all these statistical, you know, accolades and accomplishments, et cetera. I think it would be a disaster if he goes out in the first round. I think he'll will it to happen. They'll get past the first round and not much further. And so then, you know, moving forward, who... Who are the? Who do you like? Who are you gonna hit your, your wagon to? We got two or three minutes before we go to a, a commercial break here. So now we you know we started in the East. Where do you lie in the East? Cavs. Until you so, dethrone LeBron, Cavs and, are a shoe you know, in. He's in every finals. <laughs> that's just the way it works. Yeah. So until you dethrone him, until there's a team that's got the cojones to 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 take him down. It's, it's LeBron in the East, and to me, the Rockets in the West. It, you know what? I wanted to disagree with you. We were talking even last night, and then the more I – once the matchups were set, that's when I kind of had to change because the way the matchups are in the East, I don't like it for Toronto very well. They got to play Washington in the first round, who I think they could beat, but then you got to play Cleveland in the second round. You know, so if you're I, – I would like it for Toronto much more having to play Cleveland at home in the Eastern Conference Finals after Cleveland would have already had to go on the road and play either Philly or Boston. They would have been a little more tired in other series. I, see, I, now they, they scare me a lot. So I think Cleveland could get through and beat Toronto. And then I think Philly's going to be Boston, like Boston or my, uh, Milwaukee. I, I think Philly it, – I think it's going to be Philly-Cleveland. I really do in the Eastern Conference Finals. And, and how fun is that going to be where we have like LeBron – Versus the upstarts, where you have LeBron versus um, a Simmons and an Embiid, that would be really, really fun. And uh, and then we'd either have you know the old guard in LeBron or the new young up and comers heading to the finals. And then yeah, the, on the, the fixture against the future, that would be awesome. And then on the other side, you you like the Rockets, and I think I think the key is the the injury with Curry because if Curry, we're going to see that Golden State Portland matchup in the second round if they both win, and if Curry is not healthy. I see no reason why Lilliard and McCollum can't run the show in that series. They they won a game when Durant scored 50 earlier in the year. And, you know, because they have the guys that can go 
punch per punch with them. So, yeah, I, I think Golden State's in a little bit of trouble. I would lean towards Houston and Portland, and I definitely think it's, it's going to be Houston's time. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're pretty similar, but we both do agree that it's going to be Houston and maybe and maybe Cleveland, but I would love to see a Houston-Philly. That would just be so much fun uh, in the in the NBA Finals where we have kind of two new teams um, and new fan bases like galvanating and rooting for them. So, um, yeah, not a, not a bad little NBA uh, discussion here. As we're, we're both similar, but we're not chalky. So that's what's nice. Yeah, and, you know, it, I agree. It would be a lot of fun if we see the Sixers get there. Uh, I already have the Pacers knocking them off. So, uh, or excuse me, Miami knocking them off. So I yeah. can't have Philly uh, get get there. Uh, but as a fun but it would be fun storyline. It would yep. be really, really cool. So. Absolutely. Awesome. Okay, We're, let's uh, take let's yeah, take the first commercial break, Gino. And yeah, when it. we come back, baseball let's, next uh, track right? some baseball. Okay, then uh, let's do it. So stay with us, everyone. We'll be back in a few short moments. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. If you're looking for more information on firearms and the shooting sports, check out Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Kelly is the owner of McMillan Fiberglass Stocks with over 40 years of experience. Now he's ready to share some industry luminaries and their perspectives with you. If you're interested in firearms, whether it be for shooting, for fun, competition, hunting, or self-defense, Kelly is here to share his wisdom and experience. Listen live for Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan, Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Mike at the MikeAbadirShow.com. Now, back to this week's program. You gotta be honest. There ain't too many shows out there where you're going to transition from basketball into baseball, and then you're going to close with some horse racing. You know, you may get a little basketball and baseball out there mainstream, but you're not going to get the horse racing, Olympic interviews, how about wrestling previews that we've done in the past, college basketball, you name it. We're going to talk about it here on the Mike Abadir show as we shift into baseball. Are you time? Are you ready for super early overreaction time in, in the MLB? Because we're only like 12, 13 games in for everyone. But let's let's freak out and let's go overboard and tell everyone who's already going to win the World Series. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? That would be a very difficult task anyways. Because you've got some teams that you know are going to come through, you know, the Dodgers and, and others who have maybe gotten off to lackluster starts. But there's some new shooters that look like they may have some staying power. So let's, well, let's, let's, uh, let's talk through it. 
Let's start with your team. How about we start right up top on the American League East? One of the sexier divisions, obviously. Tampa struggling, Baltimore struggling. Um, No surprises there. The Yankees, they got off to kind of a slow start. I think mainly because Stanton's been struggling a little bit. 235, three home runs. How about 23 strikeouts, though, in 12 games? 12 games. He had an 0 for 5 game where he was getting booed by the Yanks fans. Pretty good start for Toronto. But your Sox, Mikey. Excellent start. They're nine and two. Hanley's ripping the ball. Betts, Bogarts are both ripping the ball. Give us the uh, the early uh, info on the Sox, how they've been in the first 11, 12 games. Great pitching so far and timely hitting. Last year's hitting coach was Chili Davis, and he preaches a very patient approach. I like Chili Davis as a hitting coach, but what happened was they were so patient last year that they ended up finishing dead last in home runs because they drew so many walks and had so many singles. And so they weren't aggressive enough. They were not aggressive enough. And this year they've got Tim Hires, who you probably know as a former assistant hitting coach for the Dodgers in the last couple of years. And he's been very aggressive with his philosophy about early in the count, look for your fastball, drive it. And that's what's happening right now. Interesting stat for you. Mookie Betts, has not swung and missed. He has not missed wow. on a fastball in 2018. It's really impressive. Very, and very impressive. Now, last it, year, they had zero grand slams as a team. They got three already in 12 games. And they had two in the in the series with the Yankees. Or 11 games, actually. So, yeah, exactly. And, here, and conversely, the Yankees have already given up, I believe it's four grand slams already. Yep, confirmed. Four grand slams already. So... Uh, you know, Yankees are having pitching issues, but it, probably the most impressive stat of all, and it's not going to get talked about a lot, at least until uh, yesterday's game, Red Sox had not committed an error yet as a team, which is a uh, Boston record, obviously. Uh, they had not committed wow. an error in the first 11 games of the season. So th- wow. that tells a story. When you have good pitching, timely hitting, you're hitting some home runs and uh, hitting some grand slams, runners on base. You know, runners of scoring position, batting average is pretty high, and you're not committing errors. Yeah, you're going to be off to a 9-2 to start. Interesting, though, about Stanton, he has two 5K games so two far. Two 5K games so far, yeah. Yep, and, and let me tell you this. Joe DiMaggio in 1941 had 13 strikeouts for the whole season. <laughs> he struck out 23 times already. <laughs> now, now, here's what I'll tell you. Here's where there's some overreaction, and here's where it could get crazy. So the overreaction is it's not like Stan's not hitting at all. He's actually on pace for 41 home runs and 135 RBIs. But are you ready for this one? If he continues on the same strikeout pace, he'd finish with 311 strikeouts, (laughs) which would be an all-time record by about 100 strikeouts. Wow. That is good stuff. Yeah, awesome. did you see, by the way, the uh, bench-clearing brawl yesterday? Oh, I was going to say, that that's what I'm getting, gets me really excited for the rest of the year because these two teams, the Yankees and the Red Sox, they still have to play 17 more times. And there was a good brawl yesterday, and then the quotes after the game from both um, new managers, Boone and Cora. These are young guys that they, they're kind of old school, though. They like that throw-at-you mentality, you know? So this we're gonna, these Yankees-Red Sox games, it's a good rivalry. And, but in the last few years, it it hasn't been – it's always better when the teams are better, right, like in anything. And so this year now with two teams that look to be very good moving forward with a lot of big names and a lot of big stars, some young managers, I'm really excited to watch these games 
from now on. When they when these two teams play, it's almost going to be appointment viewing for someone like me. And I think for a lot of baseball fans who kind of throw baseball on in the background because it's it's a marathon. You know, you're not necessarily sitting down locked into every inning of every game. But now these Yankee Red Sox games, I think you are going to be. I think a lot of the average fans are because you see there were two brawls yesterday in baseball. There was one in the in the West too with the with the Rockies and, and Aaron Otto, but. Um, you know, it's, it's like anything in hockey, they love the brawls too, because it gets people talking and it gets people watching. So uh, a really sexy start to the year for the Boston Red Sox. And, and, the, and by uh, the way, really interesting about that second brawl, uh, is that the Rockies kind of overreacted a little bit in that they had plunked five Padres leading up to that. Earlier, what do they know. expect? And one what of the, expect? their better players is on the DL now for a while. There's going to be some retaliation. Of course, point, of course. You know? And McGuire came in. Apparently, him and uh, Norlon Arenado have a pretty good relationship. I'm not sure from where, but uh, you know, he he, you know, McGuire's a huge, huge guy. You know, and he, you know, he got in uh, Nolan's way and he's like, "Hey, this is three in this game," but actually, there was two from the game prior, so it's five in total. Uh, really quickly, I want to mention when you're talking about Boone and Cora, the interesting thing going into this series was exactly that. I was like, you know, is there going to be some flair? Is there going to be some? you know, dynamite with this matchup because both managers are kind of calm, cool, and collected. You know, Boone seems like a really nice guy. Cora's a really nice guy. I'm like, is this going to be the soft version of the team? Is this the team, you know, the, the the rivalry where after the game, Betts and, and Judge are hugging it out and that type of thing? Nope. Nope. No. And nope. So and, and I the, love it. The Red Sox, one of the Red Sox players too said, uh, which I thought was hilarious. He's like, yeah, you know, we all, we get in there, we're, we're definitely brawling. And then you look a- across the way and you've got Stanton, who's six foot six, Judge is six <laughs> foot seven, Sabathia is like six, six or seven, yep. Batances is like six foot eight. Yep. And Brock <laughs> Holt, said, who said it, is a utility yeah. infielder who's oh, like yeah. sub six feet tall. So. Yeah. He's like, I want no piece of those guys. No, he's a judge got got in there and he just pushed the pile all the way back. So yeah, when you're staring across from a uh, you know four or five guys on the Yankees that are above six five, those are some massive, massive dudes out there. As we kind of move into one of the the weaker divisions of uh, of baseball, no surprises really in this one. The Royals, the White Sox, the Tigers at the bottom of the division. They're all teams that just expected to be bad this year. The Indians will be good, and the Twins. They both had. Decent starts to the year. Really no surprise. I just want to mention one cool fantasy player because he's under the radar. He's only owned in like 25% of uh, fantasy leagues in ESPN. And that's a pitcher for the White Sox named Ronaldo Lopez. He, I, I picked him up uh, to start the year. So I've had him a couple times so far. He's a really good guy if you play in season long. And he's even better in daily fantasy because he's cheap. The White Sox aren't great. But he strikes a lot of guys out. And his numbers are really, really good. So Ronaldo Lopez, for those of you who like to play uh, – some fantasy, and some daily. But the West, Mike, the AL West, talk about it. another division that we really want to spend a few minutes on. Otani and the Angels are 10-3 and three to start. We know the Astros are going to be good. They're 9-4. and four. But really, the, the big surprise, and when you look at some of the changes in expected wins, uh, I, I tweeted out a really good article from Fangraphs yesterday that talked about um, your Red Sox are fifth in, in major leagues in, in MLB. They're just under. They have 2.8 wins more than they were supposed to have had at this point of the year. And the Angels, they have 4.2 more wins than they were supposed to have had at the year at this point of the year. So they're actually second in over uh, in their over unders with projected wins. They have just been incredible. Otani's hitting home runs. He's pitching well. Um, and and as a as someone who's in LA, I got to be honest. 
there is never any buzz about the Angels. I mean, we talk, we hear about the Dodgers on sport, local sports talk radio, um, from you know people talking when when you see them out. But there's never any Angels buzz. And right now, there's Angels buzz. There's Otani buzz. People want to talk about this guy. I would say for any of our listeners who are not in Southern California, who are international or on the East Coast or wherever they may be, to put it in perspective, I would say. And this isn't much of an exaggeration. I mean, I don't have an official stat on it, but I mean, if you're just, you know, uh, going to a restaurant or or the mall or walking around, it's probably a ten to one ratio in terms of seeing Dodger ball caps versus 100%. Angel ball caps. Hundred percent. So 100%. when Gino says that, that there's a, a buzz, which is very rare, it's almost Lakers Clippers. It really is. Honestly, it's very it similar. Very similar. So it's kind of cool to see, and it's all because of one guy, Shohei Otani. And it's very easy to think, well, you know, you're talking about three home runs. Give me a break. But here's the thing. He's doing things that have either never happened or very rarely happened since the 1800s. Yeah, right? I mean, he's the third M- player in MLB history. Think of how many players have played with two wins and three home runs in his team's first 10 games. And he's a rookie on top of it, a rookie in the majors. Right, he's the third pitcher since 1893 to have 12 plus strikeouts and one or less hits in his first two career starts. Yeah, he was perfect going into the seventh inning um, in his last start. He has two walks and 18 strikeouts through two. He has a .46 WHIP and a two ERA, and he has three jacks and eight RBIs and only 22 at bats. The Angels have a plus 39 run differential which is just incredible. They, they're plus 39, and the next best team is plus 26. So they are just beating teams up right now, and, it, and it's, it's cool to be here in L.A. and hear a buzz about the Angels. i got to be honest, because they're, you know, they're in a tough division. They're going to have to play good ball really all throughout the year in order to hold off or in order to compete with a team like the Astros because, as we saw last year, Mike, this Houston team, they ain't going nowhere. And they no, they're not going anywhere. And I think the best that the Angels could really hope for is a, is a wild card spot because yeah. the Astros showed last year that they could lose a star player or two and still be able to hold down the fort and, and win the division. I mean, Charlie Morton has not given up. The three starting pitchers for Houston that have been studs, Morton, no earned runs in his first two starts, 12 innings pitched. Garrett Cole, one earned run in his first 14 innings pitch, and he's got 22 strikeouts. And then Verlander, he started three times, and he's given up three runs so far this year in three uh, starts total, 18.2 innings pitched and 22 Ks. That's not even with Keuchel and McCullers. So, so they're getting, you know, Keuchel and McCullers who are going to be better. They, they've got, you know, guys like Peacock in the pen. This is just one of the deeper teams you're going to find in uh, in Houston. That AL West is really, really fun. And yeah, and kinda- but hey, before we leave the AL West, let me ask you a question. If you had to pick for the Dodgers, Shohei Itani as, let's just say, a first baseman because there's no DH, or a pitcher, and only one of them, do you think he's got more upside as a pitcher or a hitter? That's a good question. Um, I-, I would probably say a pitcher. Um, I, think, I think because he's nobody's seen him enough yet. You know, I think I think one or two times through the the league, he's going to be really, really tough to hit. So I think for like a year or two, pitching wise, he could be excellent. And I like the way that they're 
Um, they're managing him. He's not going to throw a ton of innings early in the season because they don't want him to be tired at the end of the year because a lot of the, the Japanese players or the players that come over from the Asian leagues, their seasons are not as long. So towards the end of the year, they end up getting a little bit more tired. You end up seeing their arm get a little fatigued. So they're not doing that with Otani. No, in yet. fact, I think Sosha is using him every, uh, instead of five days, every six days, six, just yeah. like they do in Japan. Yep, yeah, exactly. they were using like a six-man rotation. Uh, they're giving him the days off. Um, he doesn't DH the day before he pitches, too. So they're really managing him, man, really, really well. And the Angels, quietly, they made some good moves you know, towards the end of last year into this year, too. The, the key for them is going to be the rest of their pitching staff. They need they need Richards um, to be at least like a number two type because if he's good, they'll be okay. You know, they have Upton, who's, I think, one of the – he's one of the better, quieter stars in all of baseball. Kinsler will be back pretty soon, too. So, yeah, that's going to be a fun – a fun Western uh, division to keep an eye on there. Yeah, the it really is. And by the way, there's nowhere where the uh, early season hype has been more felt, by the way, than the memorabilia market. I don't know if you've seen this or not, but towards the end of spring training, you could have got a Shohei Itani tops red. Oh, Ace yes, I did see this. Autographed rookie card. Yeah, so you could have got like towards the end of spring training when he was, you know, .043 batting average and getting lit up on the mound. You could have got his baseball card for about $1,500. Yesterday, or maybe it was the day before, it sold for 6725 It's more than quadrupled in, just in 10, 12 games. 11 games, 12 games. I mean, it's unbelievable. So there's nowhere where the overreaction is felt more than in the memorabilia, mar- memorabilia market. It'll be interesting to see where that card ends up if he hits a few more bombs and uh, pitches a couple more shutouts. And the Angels now are up 18% in their changes in playoff odds through 12 games. Because the key for some of these fringe teams is you've got a hot start and then one or two of the other teams that were like supposed to be projected wildcard teams, like for the Angels, they've got a great start and the Yankees are 6-6. Six and six. So, you know, they picked up a few games on the Yankees in projections overall. Um, so right there, the, the Angels are sitting great. And that's the kind of a key for a team like the Mets as we move on to the NL East. The Mets are ten and one right now. They swept the Nationals. They are their playoff odds are up twenty four percent, mainly because of that. They swept the Nationals, so they have a couple extra wins over a team in their division. And then they look at teams like the the Rockies, the Cardinals, and the Phillies, who were kind of supposed to be fringe wild card teams. And the Mets are doing way better than them through the first eleven or twelve games. So they have a plus four point five in their expected wins. Um, so through the year so far, and they're, I mean, when you have DeGrom and Syndergaard at the top of your rotation, your one and two is as good as any team's one and two. I mean, I would put them up there with, when they're on their A game with Strasburg and Scherzer, right there with any, any one and two. The problem is once you get behind them, are they deep enough to last? Are you going to continue to get contributions from guys like Adrian Gonzalez, um, Todd Frazier? He's he struggles. I mean, he's been a little bit timely with this hitting. I just I can see the Mets as a wild card team. I just think the Washington's too good. I think Philly is going to actually start to play a little bit better. So um, I think they're going to come back to the world a little bit here. The Mets are soon. Yeah, they'll probably come back to the world a little bit. But, you know, they're they're in the NL East and you got Miami, you know, 17, 18 times a year. You know, the Braves and the Phillies, who've got some nice young talent. The Atlanta Braves are definitely overperforming uh, based on expectations. They're 7-5, and five, have a 26-run differential. So they're, they're playing some pretty good baseball early on. But as things level out, you're still going to get rack up a lot of wins against the Braves, Phillies, and Marlins. And uh, that's probably to the dismay of 
all the NLS teams because NLS, you know, with Arizona and Colorado and San Francisco and the and the Dodgers, you would almost want to file a protest like, hey, how can the wild card come out of the NL East? That's kind of BS, but that's probably where, where it's going to end up, you know. Uh, but right. we'll get to the West in a moment. Let's take our next commercial break and then continue with the uh, the rest of the East, NL Central and NL West. Stay tight. We'll be back in a couple of short moments. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fans' perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network and let's talk football. We're talking big game adventures this week on The Revolution with Jim and Trav. While most seasons are still months away, that doesn't mean we can't start preparing for our fall pursuits right now. Joining us is Jenna Waller, host of Skullbound TV, Derek Ratliff, president and founder of Horizon Firearms, plus Tom and Nick of Become One. It's presented by Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, World Fishing Network, and My Outdoor TV. Friday afternoons at 1 Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Mike at the MikeAbadirShow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Finishing up in our baseball overlook of the first uh, 10, 12 games of the season. About a week and a half in. We were through the National League East. Miami, obviously, they're going to be at the bottom. No surprise there. Washington, a little bit of a slow start. But mainly, Washington, just they got swept by the Mets. So, um, I think they're going to kind of float back up. Keep an eye on the Phillies. They've started to play some good ball. And then in the Central, Mike, um, it's not a top heavy division because I still don't even think the Cubs are that great, but it's probably going to be a pretty competitive division. The Pirates have started off the season pretty well. The Brewers are a team that a lot of people think uh, might be able to sneak in for a wild card. Um, I know Eno was kind of high on the, on the Cardinals. They've had a little bit of a slow start to the season. Nothing really to, to sink my teeth into too much in the central. I just, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Cubs just kind of float around this year. I don't think they're quite as good of a Cubs team as they were the last couple years. Why is that? Because I, think, I feel the same way, but I really can't pinpoint it since they have pretty much the same World Series roster. Yeah, I think it's a – I mean, I, I think pitching-wise, they're not quite as as dominant. Because I think when they were at their best, they it was like a, a perfect storm. They got incredible seasons from Arietta and Lester and Hendricks all at the top of their rotation. And then the back of their bullpen was really good too. Remember, they had Chapman um, when they won – um, so I, you know, I don't, 
I just don't think I think some of those key pieces aren't there anymore. Uh, you know, and for me, that's the key. I think this was a team that was deep and that was very well rounded, and they're just not quite as deep. Their pen isn't quite as scary. Their rotation isn't quite as scary. Uh, all the way through. And even like Chris Bryant kind of came back to life a little bit last year. I think everybody seemed to peak in that one year. I think they're going to be a perennial playoff team, but I just don't, They we kind of both feel the same way. From a feel standpoint, they don't feel um, as nomadic, running around, smiling, everybody having a good time, joking, playing. And it just doesn't feel like that kind of a Cubs team. No, it doesn't. And even though all those hitters are are young and, and in theory really shouldn't have peaked yet or plateaued yet even, um, you know, they should still be on the upside and on the improve. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's probably more so on the pitching side. But ironically enough, they've given up the least runs in the NL outside of the Mets. And um, interestingly enough, the Pittsburgh Pirates have scored 14 more runs than the Cubs. Who would have thunk it? How about this? The Pirates have scored 31 more runs than the Dodgers. They Unbelievable. In the same amount of games. They both played 11 games, and the Pirates have scored 31 more runs than the Dodgers. And their their most marquee hitter and marquee pitcher are both gone. They're and gone. McCutcheon and Cole. Yeah, they're stars. Their stars are gone. They they A lot of people thought Pittsburgh was one of those teams that was trying to tank this year to get rid of all of their assets and their stars um, play a lot of the young guys and then um, hope to get some some draft picks for the future. And they're they're playing very well early on right now. Uh, 71 run score. That's that's unbelievable in 11 games for the Pirates. And as we talked about, two of the teams that were struggling out west um, at the top of the Western Division is the Diamondbacks. And, you know, the Diamondbacks have been winning. Well, what's funny is they're winning and you look at their stats and up and down their lineup because I know I think you have Goldschmidt in, in fantasy and he's been struggling. You look up and down, they haven't been hitting the ball necessarily that great, but pitching-wise, they've been pretty good, and Patrick Corbin's actually been excellent, so the Diamondbacks are 9-3. and three. They swept the Dodgers, uh, who are 4-7 and seven right now, so you got to say— And that's, by say, the way, with Grinke, not even, uh, he's not even dealing yet. I mean, he's yeah. uh, he's had a couple of iffy outings. Godley's been over fantastic. Five. Yeah, Godley's been fantastic. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's that if they could get pitching like this throughout the season, they're going to be really, really good. And they're one of the teams that have the biggest change in playoff odds. They're up 19% because they were projected to be a wild card team. And, you know, you look at um, the Brewers, the Cardinals, and uh, the Phillies, the other teams that were kind of projected to be wild card teams. Arizona's had a much quicker start, and they've picked up a couple games on them. The D-backs are actually four games higher in their expected wins, and the Dodgers are 2.6 games lower. So think about that. Just 11 games into the year, there's already a six-game differential between the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers, mainly because the Diamondbacks swept the Dodgers in a series that would have probably been projected to go, you know, like one and a half games each way, you know, like a split projected series. So, um that's that's a big movement in in just a few games from the from the D-backs. But as a Dodger fan, I got to be honest, I'm really not too concerned, Mike. I thought they would start slow this year. It's kind of that World Series hangover. You lost in Game Seven of the World Series last year. Some of your pitching staff, a lot of your bullpen had to be kind of overexerted, which means then you get a late start in spring because you don't want to get these guys started so early when they had to go so late last year. So then what happens, they're a little bit backed up, maybe an injury or two. Kenley had some hamstring issues. He already has a loss and a blown save. We're looking at Kershaw, who's 0-2. Wood is 0-2. And Kenley has a loss and a blown save. Those are three all-stars for the Dodgers last year. 
you know, you know you're going to get a little bit more from them. Seeger's hitting 214, Taylor's hitting 208, Puig's hitting 205, Kiki's hitting 179, and Forsyth hitting 175. When you have five of your everyday lineup hitters at all under 215, you're not going to be getting a lot. And even with that, the Dodgers still should be a lot better because they lost two games, one to nothing, and they lost two games where they took the lead in extra innings and then lost in the back end of the of the inning. So even at the four and seven record, even with all the struggles, this is a team that could very easily be, you know, seven and four. And it wouldn't, and nobody would be worried. So, you know, we'll check back in with the Dodgers in a week or two. Hopefully the bats will start to come together. And I think when Turner comes back, he's the heart and soul of this team. I think that'll be a real pick me up for the rest of the squad. Yeah, I'm not worried about the Dodgers hitting. I know that they will they're obviously not going to be hitting in the 100s and low 200s or whatever. But, you know, I think I think it's one of those things where, you know, as a team, you catch fire and a team like the Dodgers, who's, you know, uh, pretty battle tested at this point in time, a perennial playoff team, and now now defending NL champs. You know they'll they'll get it on track. They'll they'll get it going. I still think that they probably have, uh, I'd say the the best roster in that division. But yeah, you're right. The Diamondbacks are going to make things really really tough on them. They match up really well with them, and, and they're not uh, scared of them. They beat no, up on the Dodgers last year all throughout the season. The Dodgers beat them in the playoffs, but they're not. They're one of those teams like you're the Dodgers. Who cares? We're not, you know, we're not scared of you. We're going to come right at you. We're not scared of Kershaw. We see him all the time. You know, we're, we're, we'll dig in and and, uh, and let it rip against him. So, um, yeah, as a Dodger fan, I'm uh, I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum as you, as a Red Sox fan, the first few weeks. But I'm not too concerned. And we'll uh, this is kind of fun. We can do maybe one of these every uh, every like once a month or every uh, if there's been some movement and kind of check back in, see what some of the hot stories are going on in baseball. I, I've really enjoyed it. I, I always love talking baseball early in the year, but there's still a lot of intriguing sport storylines. And uh, the, the cool thing about baseball is every year, whether it's on a winning team or a losing team, there's always something interesting, whether it would be a rookie that's really performing well for a last place team or, uh, you know, a team that's gelling or Hopefully brawls, some fights, or, some more fights yeah, to talk say, about. Brawls or, yeah, or something. Exactly. You know, so for me, I'm a I'm a hardcore baseball junkie, so I can't get enough of it, and uh, I I love I love talking baseball because let's face it, you know, it's I don't want to say it's uh it's it's lost momentum. I I would well, actually it say it's the opposite. It, it, I think it lost momentum for a while, but it's I think it's starting to pick back up again. I'm I agree, bu- I'm very young, bullish yeah. on baseball. Yep. It's young now. The last couple of years, baseball is young. I think they're starting to do a better job of marketing their stars. That was yep. always a problem with exactly. baseball, too. They didn't really promote their stars a lot. Like yep. We see it in football and we see it in basketball. They do such a great job of getting their stars out there. And in baseball, you know, I mean, nobody talks about Mike Trout, who's the best player in baseball, one of the best players that we've ever seen. So they're finally starting to do a better job now um, of getting baseball out there and I think with the young wave of, of talent I think people are liking it and now with so many people that are into analytics and the numbers baseball's got great stuff with the stack cast and uh, all sorts of stuff you can really dive into so um and, and we've got some great baseball um guests Mike that you've been able to uh to get us in touch with 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 Jerry and with Eno so we'll, I'm sure we'll do our best to kind of lean on them a couple more times throughout the year if they're available and uh and pick their brain a little bit on no doubt on that sounds really on. good um, and speaking of youth, by the way, let's talk some three-year-olds. Ooh, nice transition. <laughs> Nicely done there, Mikey. We, uh, yeah, we, we got to give a thanks to uh, our guest last week. We had Emily Gullickson, Craig Milkowski, and the Sarge. They came on. They talked the Santa Anita Derby, the Bluegrass, the Wood Memorial. Um, 
we don't have a ton of time, probably four or five minutes to just to, to, pre, to kind of talk about what happened last week. The wood was probably the least sexy of the races. We're going to see Vino Rosso and Enticed, no matter what. They're going to be locked into the uh, the field. Probably Frenze Fire also. Anything that came out of that race excite you, get you thinking about the first Saturday in May? The only thing that kind of intrigues me a little bit is just the jockey shuffle. The musical jockeys. Yeah. yeah, yeah, a little bit. Just because uh, it's kind of been a domino effect, right? So yep. Johnny V is off Audible and on Vino Rosso. Now, with these things, you don't for sure know, unless somebody comes out and says it, whether it's the owner, the trainer, or the jockey that makes these types of decisions. But let's go on the assumption that Johnny V had his choice. He's a Hall of Famer. He's a, a, you know, a, a favorite and, and a number one for pretty much uh, any trainer who has an opportunity to get him. They have Johnny V as their number one, him or Castellano. And so, you know, he, he won with Audible in the Florida Derby, but he also won with Binaroso, decided to go with Binaroso. In turn, that opened up Audible, which means that Castellano leaves Boltioro for Audible, which opens up Boltioro for Victor Espinoza. What do you make of all this? Musical jockeys, right? Uh, you know what? I don't read too much into it. I, I probably will... Um will upgrade Vino Rosso a little bit and maybe a horse that I use more in like the two, three, four spots. I do yep. like Boltioro a lot. It doesn't really bother me that um, Javi will leave Boltioro because he's going to go ride for Pletcher and Windstorm, Windstar Farm, who he rides a lot for. So I think that's a business decision more than uh, this particular horse decision. So it none of it really surprises me, but I think the most that I take out of it is, hmm, okay, Johnny V ends up on Vino Rosso. He's probably a horse who will end up maybe sliding up a slot on some of my tickets than where he was before. Agreed. Agreed. I think um, that's a, that's, that's a good analysis. And since we got two minutes, do you want to jump yeah, right like, to the uh, Arkansas Derby? Yeah, this weekend. So like in the bluegrass, we saw a good magic last week. And then in the Sandy Derby, we saw bolt and justify. So we know they're both going to be in, in the bluegrass flame away is going to be in. And, uh, um, free drop Billy. were also in that race. They're probably in this week. There's two preps. The Lexington is only a 20-point prep, and the only horse in the Lexington that really has got a shot to get in is my boy Jack. He has 32 points. He's currently number 20 on the list. So even if he runs second, he's probably in. Gravitos, he has 10 points. He's number 29. If he wins, if he gets the 20, that would put him at, like, number 21 or 22. He'd be on the also eligible list, and he'd be waiting for maybe a defection or an injury or uh, the connections to decide they don't want to run in the Derby. And then in the Arkansas Derby, we have a couple – Big names that are most likely in. Magnum Moon, he's undefeated. He's in the Derby, no doubt. Quip, he's in. They both have the points to, to be in no matter what. If Even if they run dead last, they're in. Solomini, he probably just needs a fourth place finish. He's currently 19th on the point standings list. He has 34. So even fourth and 10 points, that would lock him in. And then a horse like Combatant, he needs to get at least a third place finish because he's probably about 20 points shy of getting in. Um... I think if my boy Jack makes it, he's a stone-cold closer that I will absolutely be using. And if Solomini, uh, he's a horse that I'm, I'm kind of high on. I think he's been really unlucky, and he's due for like a big day to finally break through. Um, I don't know if it's going to be this one, but Solomini will be one of those horses that I use if he's in the Derby. He's just consistent. He always really shows up and runs a good race. So um, fun Arkansas Derby this week, but it's mainly about some of those horses that need those points to get in. So a horse like Combatant, Solomini needs a good effort, and then any of the other non 
Magna Moon Quip Horses. This is their last shot. This is conference tournament time, trying to win and get into the big dance. Yep, exactly. I totally agree with you. And since we've got about 30 seconds left, the thing that I'll just spend uh, 10 seconds on is Salamini. I think if you go back and watch the last race and how difficult of a time that he had finding an opening in the Rebel, Salamini is hands down my top choice in this race. And I think he's actually a serious derby threat. I agree. So I agree. Uh, I don't really have a, 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 any kind of take on the Lexington myself. Uh, to it's me, more Arkansas of a watch derby, race. Yeah, yeah, it's more of a watch race. Exactly. So good stuff there. We got to wrap this thing up. I wish we could talk a little bit more about some of these derby preps. But like you mentioned, we're going to be talking a lot of NFL draft and a lot of Kentucky Derby season in the upcoming weeks. So please come back, tune in. And if you have any thoughts or suggestions, please tweet us, email us, call us in, let us know what you want to talk about or areas that you want us to cover a little bit more, and we will do so. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you guys next week, same time, same place. Have a good one. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a great week.